I'll ask you this right now, Lorianne. As Lorianne is rocking it out to Stevie Wonder here. And the song, Superstitions. So when you were racing competitively, did you have superstitions? Absolutely. Okay, well, let's, what were they? Number one, no baths. No what? Bath. No bath. Like or bef- hot tub. Like, okay, before? Before ra- racing. How many days before? Like the night before. But you could have a bath two days before. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> no, no. After the season was done, then maybe. But yeah, just total showers because I sat in a tub way too long and my legs were like jello. Yeah, the next that, that kind of goes, I could see that. Yeah. Or you had probably a poor race and then you went, I can't do that anymore. No. Okay, so it that's your number tub. one. Yep. No baths the night before a race, mm-hmm. just Absolutely. to shower. Yep. What about if you didn't have a shower? What did, did you? Even- oh no, I always had a shower. Okay. No, it's not like that. No, no. Okay. The other one was always setting out the night before everything in order, exact order of either how it was put on or packed into the bag to make sure that I had everything at the track. Wow. Yep. Send us a text, one 401 If you're playing rec hockey or whatever, do you or did you have a superstition that you needed to kind of, uh, you felt that you had to had to do it? Duke, when you're playing hockey, do you put your left skate on first or do you don't care? Uh, I, I very well might put the same yeah. foot on first every time, but it's not something I like take note of. Uh, my only like routine that I have is because the, we usually get a flood after our second period, but it's not guaranteed. Like if because uh, there's just they flood every two periods during beer league, so we might occasionally get a first uh, first period flood. But either way, at the intermission, uh, I have one particular routine, and that's a uh, click sh- crack and mm-hmm. a, a nice cold one to enjoy during the intermission, and then I follow that up with uh, another one post game as well. Those are my only uh, superstitions when it comes to uh, Tropicana's Orangeman hockey, hmm. as you called it. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Kevin? No, none at all. Oh, Zero. Really? Uh, I mean... Or, or a tradition instead of a superstition. I don't know. Back in, like, it's so long ago. We used to, I mean, it didn't matter anyway. We just got pounded all the time anyway, so. <laughs> I mean, kind of, I mean, a guy who would jungle. get a coffee or whatever at the Nelly's Bakery or something or whatever like that, but nothing major. I don't know. Okay. Even like right now, no, nothing. Zero Duke. Oh, Got to bring uh, something in. Text coming in, one 401 1440 Jordan says, always went to the bathroom before hitting the ice. Well, that's not even superstitious. That's just a necessity. That's a normal. Only if I feel like I have to. Like if I was like, oh, I got to take a leak, then I'll go to the bathroom. But if I don't, then I don't. I just go into the ice. (laughs) Crotch says, I'm not superstitious, but I'm a little stish. Little stitious. Little stitious. Yeah, that's a great great quote from The Office, Michael Scott. (laughs) Uh, no, I don't know. I, I mean, it didn't didn't really. I mean, I, I know a lot of guys that uh, you know play in the NHL that have to, you know, they tape their their stick the same way. You know, like Connor McDavid, I believe once he tapes his stick for the game, no matter what happens to it, and you can see how beat up that thing gets, he's going the whole game without retaping the stick. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. 
That's not that impressive. I'll go weeks straight with a point taking. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, but you got you got. Uh, I'm getting no points in an eleven nothing win, so yeah. I guess I must not be. Touching Maybe you the, should tape your stick. Not, not be touching the puck yeah. that yeah, much. You should tape your stick a little more often, Duke. Yeah, eleven nothing. So Duke played in uh, last week and they won eleven nothing, but Duke recorded zero points. Like that's really yeah. What happened, dude? I, I'm a I'm a breakout guy, and then they just a uh, little pass around the ozone. I don't get a touch on it, and I, I miss out on my secondary assist yeah. that I love to collect. So I mean, hey, I'm I'm a team guy. I don't worry about individual accolades. I'm we got a big resounding win shutout for our goaltender in beer league hockey. You kidding me? That so that was my. Who are prim- you guys playing? My again prime here? focus of the game was uh, keeping the puck out of our net to preserve the uh, the goose egg for our goalie Matt, and um and I hey mission accomplished. Uh, Mark texts in one eight three three four zero one fourteen forty. Hey Kevin, are you surprised at all that there hasn't been an extension given to Ken Hall? And surely, with the magnitude of the decisions that are coming up, you wouldn't want a rookie GM handling that situation. Mark, I think it, everyone has kind of come to agreement or terms that I think this is probably going to be Ken Holland's last year. Hence, that there's no extension. I think. Ken even has kind of come to terms with that as as well. Mm-hmm. And you can see, you know, Jeff Jackson has had his fingerprints on a lot more things here than maybe what have would have happened down, you know, in the past or at the start of the year or, or with Ken's future. But so if, if he's not coming back next year, obviously there wouldn't be an extension. Now, who would the next GM be? That's the, another question. Could it be even someone like, uh, could it be someone like a Paul Coffey? Would Paul Coffey, and again, I, to my belief that this is a one-off for this year and Paul Coffey will only be coaching to the end of this year as an assistant coach. He enjoyed his role as an advisor. Uh, not to say that he's not enjoying <laughs> the success right now. Anytime that you can come in here and be a part of something so special that's happening right now, I think you would be crazy to say you're not having a good time. And I would believe that Paul Coffey's having a hell of a time uh, being around a team and there's nothing like being around a team when it's winning like this in in the sense of you can be an advisor and watch from the press box and watch from afar but you're not you don't have your pulse on it you're not there 24/7 you're not on you're not talking to the guys you know just little conversations that's what makes you a part of the team so Paul Coffey has taken this role to another level and it was funny when we, that was the number one thing. When this coaching change happened, we had more comments from anyone uh, than about anyone else. They weren't saying, they didn't say much about Chris Nama. People were upset that Paul Coffey got this job. They were mad. And that, and we, we saw it, Duke. We saw it on all the texts. It, it was the, it was about like what he's never coached before. What are his qualifications? He just started to spy on the locker room for, for Daryl Cates because they're buddies and he's the yep. advisor and all these questions. And I mean, I thought Paul did a really good job initially kind of putting that to bed when, when people, when he faced the fair questions about, are you still in these like routine conversations with Daryl Cates? And he said, I'm here to coach the yeah. hockey Remember team. Remember the, we got the one-on-one. So I sat with Paul on the bench. I sat with him for about seven minutes or so, six, seven minutes, and well, that was one of the main questions. People, that's what they 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 were worried about, you being, you know, a buddy-buddy with the owner. And he, what did he say? I'm an assistant coach right now. Yes, I still have Daryl's number, 
But I'm so, not going to be calling him every day and going whatever. And he's he's like, yes, Daryl Cates is still my boss, yeah, but he's, he's the boss of every yeah. single person in this organization, right? So, so I, I mean, I think he's just done a wonderful job to um, not necessarily if separate is the wrong word or correct word, but he understands where his priority is now with what his job detail is. Yeah. So interesting to watch from that first press conference to his growth and evolution of how he's connecting with all of the players. The thing is, too, Lorianne, with Paul, he he knew all these guys on, like, he would have conversations. He's had conversations with these guys over the years. So it's not like he came in cold here to um, a job where he wasn't familiar with these players on defense. He'd been giving advice and talking, sitting guys down for a long time to saying, hey, so, you know, getting to know them, saying, you know, this is a strength of yours, this is a weakness. Don't be afraid to make a play. Do this, do that, you know. And it, and at that point, he's got to be careful because he's doesn't want to overstep the bounds of uh, David Manson yes. or Mark Stewart. Yep. So, um, but sometimes this is really great because all of that time leading up until being officially announced is part of the preparation, and it's sometimes it's easier to do that without the pressure. And it's just, it's more open. We call it in flow. And it's just, it ends up just really, okay, it's your time. You step into that role and then you lead. Whatever has been uh, happening, it's working, obviously. When you are on an incredible role like the Oilers are on, 16 straight wins. Again, five games in hand on Vegas. The big game coming up a week from tomorrow in Vegas. Both teams with identical wins, identical losses, uh, except in the overtime category where Vegas has six, Oilers have one. 64 points for Vegas, 59 for the Oilers. But again, the Oilers do have the five games in hand. And the most remarkable stat right now is... I wouldn't say the most remarkable, but again, the two goals or less is amazing uh, on this streak. But also the penalty kill unit has turned into almost such a lethal weapon when it's erasing. And this is going to be a good test. So obviously Vegas has some guns and some heat that they can bring on on the power play. But the penalty kill unit's ranked fifth in the league. And you've got how it used to be, Laura, and you wanted... So if your penalty kill unit, the percentage... Uh, is right now it's 83 and the power play is 27.1 it used to be back in the day when you added those two numbers you wanted your special teams to add up to be 100 Mm percent so this adds up to be a little over 110 yes i think that's changed because there's been such a a focus on the players that both penalty kill and the players are so good on the power play now moving the puck and scoring that I think that that number probably is a little higher than 100% now. It's probably about 103, somewhere in there. Yes. If you were to ask, a, you know, a special teams coach like, say, Glenn Gulletson, where where do you want it? Where do you want the, the, the PK and the PP to add up to? He'd probably go about a, a 103 now. Anything over that is you are really playing well, you know, with the man advantage and on the PK unit, so... Uh, they're they're doing everything. They're making all the right moves right now. They're uh, uh, forcing a lot more forcing. I think in in certain areas of the ice on the penalty kill. So it's it's not allowing teams to set up as much as they were maybe. But again, twenty seven point one for the power play, eighty three for the PK. Pretty darn good, don't you think, Duke? I'd say so. I'd say so. 
Uh, Power play kind of back to life on Saturday there with a, mm-hmm. a couple good markers. So and like looking like the textbook one, like a typical what we kind of associate with a typical uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins power play goal, of course, from the the slot kind of up yeah. in the bumper position, moving down, <laughs> and then Leon's uh, one time over on the far side. It was like kind of um, you know business as usual for the the PP one <laughs> unit. Uh, Nick texts in any worries of Holland going overboard uh, with going all in for this year because of his contract situation, spending every draft pick possible. The Brown and Perry bonuses led me to this idea. Well. I don't think Ken Holland is any like the only thing I can think of here is um, Eric Tillman making uh, trades in the middle of the night in his pajamas going to the fax machine and trading Ricky Ray at two in the morning and things like that. So I don't think it'll ever get to that stage. So um, that's the first thing that I thought about was <laughs> Eric Tillman. Yeah, I think there's a I mean, we same thing going back to the coaching changes stuff. There was a lot of talk at that point about, you know, are Holland's hands even the ones still on the wheel or is he left in place uh, for the sake of, um, you know, stability in an external image type situation? I, I think he still obviously has a lot of say and role, but I agree with you, Kevin. I don't think there's any but, major moves being pulled without the sign off of probably Jeff Jackson and maybe others in the uh, management group. One of the key things when you are a GM and you've been around this long is how you deal with other general managers. So Ken Holland will say, listen, I know what this guy's thinking. I got a feeling that, you know, we can maybe make a deal here, make a move here. Jeff Jackson doesn't have that, that ability. He doesn't have that um, the relationship, and that's just because he's just starting at this job. So if, if Jeff Jackson were to make a call to whomever, Ken Holland has a better read or a better kind of intel on a guy that where we can maybe make something going forward. So yeah. I think that's a big thing uh, with Kenny Holland. When we come back, Aaron Portsline from The Athletic. He covers the Columbus Blue Jackets. Man, a lot to talk with uh, the Jackets uh, and about this team uh, moving forward. That's coming up. Kevin Carey's Laurie Munzer on Sports 1440. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to the big program. Time now for the Puck Report, brought to you by Fountain Tire. Uh, Fountain Tire is more than just tires. They offer a wide range of auto repair and services from their expert mechanics. Visit FountainTire.com to see all the mechanical services that they offer. As we welcome in Aaron Portsline from the Athletic, covers the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, Aaron, you're with Kevin Carries and Olympic gold medalist, Lorianne Munzer. Welcome uh, back to Sports 1440. Thanks for hopping on this morning. Well, nice, and thanks for having me. Good to be with you. So before we get to last night's game with Seattle, can you just give an update what's going on with Patrick Lyonie's situation here? Yeah, I mean, as always, details are pretty sketchy with this. It's part of the program's goal is to give these players an opportunity to seek help uh, without having their whatever that issue is spewed out to everyone to consider. We don't know what the issue is. Um, he needed to step away from the team for a while, and now he goes into the program. He is away from the team indefinitely. No one knows, uh, obviously, how long this is going to take for him to get where he needs to be. He continues to get paid during this time, uh, but he cannot rejoin the Blue Jackets until uh, the program that he is now enrolled in has uh, cleared him uh, to return. So. Mm -hmm. Uh, indefinitely isn't just the team not wanting to give you an idea of how long this is going to be. It's it's legitimately indefinitely. So he he's just had a tough go since he arrived in Columbus. Would you say that, Aaron? He just hasn't been able to, I guess, gain the same kind of traction that he had when he was with the Jets. I mean, he, he, that is absolutely fair. He that. Um, 
incredible goal-scoring prowess he showed early in his time with Winnipeg. He's had maybe one or two stretches. We're talking eight, ten, twelve games where he's looked to have that sort of confidence in his shot. I do think he's become a little more well-rounded of a player. Certainly they needed him to be that here. I think at times he's looked that. Um, Maybe more of a playmaker than just a pure goal scorer, but I think the sense from watching Patrick Lenny since he's been here in Columbus is I can get two things. First, he's not in the lineup very often. He's missed 89 games. Um, in basically, what, almost three, a little over three years, so almost two-thirds, almost one-third of his games. And he's he's not maxed out. I don't think Columbus has yet to see Patrick Lighty at his best, and maybe this is part of the reason why. So, mm-hmm. And I think we should all be, I think most many people are, even on social media, which can be such a, a toxic landfill sometimes, uh, rooting for Patrick Line first as a human being to get back to where he needs to to be and, and worry about the the hockey and, and anything that comes after it later. Yeah, his his well being is uh, number one priority. As uh, we're with Aaron Portsline from the Athletic, covers the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets. Having said that, you know every team kind of has to make decisions on players. Where do you think they go moving forward with uh, Patrick Line in the future here? Well, I would have thought heading into the March trade deadline, if he came back and played well, that he's a player that would be certainly a consideration to move at the trade deadline. That's out of the question now. Mm-hmm. Um, he's their player uh, to make work. I don't think any NHL team's going to be in the market for him. It would have been a tough trade anyway, given what he makes. Um, but the Blue Jackets, is, as Poorly as the season has gone, they have a, a swell of young forwards that have pushed uh, for top six, top nine ice time and have really delivered. Chinikov, Marchenko, these are not household names for, for people, certainly. Um, Fantilli is, but mm-hmm. the others, uh, Voronkov, I mentioned Marchenko and, and Chinikov. These, these guys have really pushed for significant roles with the Blue Jackets. And so I think... It was getting to the point where line A was becoming uh, expendable in Columbus, but I think all of that stuff is on hold now. He's, he's theirs to, to make work. Hmm. Do you wish, Aaron, um, is there something that you wish the fans would know about the Blue Jackets that maybe they don't, that you are seeing from a different perspective? Like, what would this be about the team? Yeah, well, I, I think maybe just a little of what I, what I touched on, um, it, it it is from afar. It looks like the same hopeless situation that was here, you know, last year and other seasons in Columbus. And it is not that. Um, I, I think they've got a lot to figure out, and this is not a good team as presently constructed, obviously. But there there are a host of young players here, um, and more really bright prospects on the way that suggest this team should be headed to a fairly bright future. They've got a lot of stuff to figure out. They, they have some veteran players. They either have to get motivated or, or get somewhere else. Um, but the young players are starting to take ownership of this team. They've won, I think, only 15 games this year. 
Um, but in 11 other games, almost as many, 11 other games, they've blown third-period leads and gone on to, to lose. So they don't know how to win, uh, but they're slowly before our eyes showing us that they're learning how to play. Um, and just look at some of the numbers from guys, from players you've not heard of um, and realize these are some bright prospects that are starting to deliver in the NHL. Mm-hmm. Aaron Portsline, The Athletic, is uh, with us. Kevin Carries, Laurie Ann Munzer on Sports 1440. We saw that firsthand uh, here just last week, uh, Aaron, when the Blue yeah. Jackets, they probably should have been up 5-6-1 you know, after 40 Absolutely. minutes. So th- is that kind of along the lines where they haven't learned how to win yet? Yeah, I, I think they were solid those first two periods mm-hmm. in Edmonton. They lost it in the third. They were completely overwhelmed in the third. Um, that one wasn't as gut-wrenching as, say, the one in Vancouver uh, two nights later where they're up 4-1 yeah. to one and you're like, I mean, as a as a beat writer, you're, you're like, can I get a jump on writing this game? And you're like, not with these guys. No, because this thing is far from over. And they give up three power play goals, three power play goals in the span of five minutes and 17 seconds. Three. Um, and it's 4-4, and you're like, well, God, this thing's over, right? And then they end up with a major penalty late, a chance to win it. They, they don't get anything out of that. They end up losing in overtime. It's been... You know, games like that over and over again, just soul-crushing losses where when they're older, when maybe they figured a few things out, they'll get rewarded for those games because by then one hopes they'll know how to win. Mm-hmm. Do you think, Aaron, that, I mean, David Juracek uh, now goes down and, you know, we saw how the team was kind of handling Kent Johnson earlier. Uh, where are they at kind of, in your opinion, handling younger players? Yeah, well, there's been a lot of confusion here. Um, I think the the big confusion, just in a general sense, is to look at this team, see where they are in the standings, see what these games look like, uh, the blown leads. Why aren't uh, the younger players having a bigger role here? I mentioned some of their production. Look at their ice time. Um, Fantilli is... At last check, I think he was four minutes below Bedard per game. He's been moved to the wing to get Boone Jenner back in his lineup. I'm of a mind you've got about 30 games left in the season. These should be put to use. I didn't like that they came out of the Edmonton game without Adam Fantilli taking a single faceoff against Connor McDavid. Now, he's not ready for that challenge. I'm not saying he is. He is not Connor McDavid's peer yet. Uh, will he ever be is a, is a fair question. But if I'm the Blue Jackets, I want him to know what that's like. That's what these games can, can do for you now, where they can't get you into the playoffs. That ship has sailed. I want David Yurichek mm-hmm. to have experienced McDavid and Dreisaitl. It may not go well, but next time they play Edmonton, It'll be his second experience playing those two mm-hmm. great players, not his first. And this this sort of this sheltering, I, I get it. I Pascal Vincent, the head coach, knows more about developing hockey players than I will ever know. And in fairness, a lot of these guys I'm talking about who have played so well this season, he's the guy who's brought them along. So full credit there. 
but it feels to a lot of people like this season, while being a missed opportunity on the ice, is also being a missed opportunity to get some of these players experience that can be useful in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Aaron Portsline with The Athletic, uh, our guest on Sports 1440. Aaron, how would you say things have gone with Johnny Gaudreau? Uh, when he signed with the team, I'm sure a lot of people were kind of surprised a little bit about it. Uh, but where would you say things have gone uh, with Gaudreau so far, and where can they go with this guy? Yeah. Well, I think the, um, la- the his first season in Columbus was fine. I think the one thing they learned during the first season in Columbus is that, that Gaudreau, for all of his talent, is not a dressing room leader type rah-rah guy um that's not in his makeup never has been i don't think they think it will be Hmm. um so you're getting you're getting a player sure um you're not getting a guy that's going to change the direction of your of your dressing room from a leadership perspective this year got off to a dreadful start for Gaudreau the first month of the season you know the thing with johnny Gaudreau when you watch him play a hockey game He's one of those players that you, you can't miss because he's, he's always got the puck and he, he moves at 400 miles an hour. You didn't notice him the first month or six weeks of the season. Now, he's been much better since then. I will say, in his defense, he, he is not playing with, obviously, the line mates he had in Calgary. He is a playmaker first and foremost on the wing. And with this bunch, though they're getting better, a lot of his best plays, his best setups, Either the guys aren't on the same wavelength as him or they don't have enough polish to finish what he has set them up for. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been kind of a mixed bag, but I think the last couple of months this season, I don't think you can question his, his effort. He's been more productive, but he's not anywhere near the player that he was that last year in Calgary. Where are you at, too, with Zach Wierenski getting back into the lineup uh, on this uh, road trip that you guys were on? And, you know, I mean, obviously they're number one defenseman, but uh, yeah. where, where, I mean, but again, the injuries and everything like that, but uh, this has got to yeah. be the, the uh, you know, the, the leader of this team, especially on the back end. No question. And he's, he's such a gifted player, such a well-respected player. He has had an so many fluke injuries. This is not a pulled groin or or out of shape type injuries. It's it's just some of the weirdest, you know, taken into the boards last year after I think 13 games and his shoulder's gone. Misses the whole season. Mm-hmm. Comes back from that. It's a slow recovery. Even when you're playing, it takes a couple of, at least a couple of weeks to get your feel back. I think it took him a month before he felt like himself. And then he suffers a high ankle sprain, another completely aggravating injury. Um, I don't think he's 100%. I think he's still playing through the ankle because uh, he wants so badly to be out there. Very gifted player. Um, and they've got some help on the way. They signed Ivan Provorov and Damon Severson last summer to bulk up that back end. Mm-hmm. And they're still, I think they're only about a quarter of a goal per game better than they were, which is significant in the NHL, but not enough when you gave up over four goals a game last year. So, you know, they need Juracek to develop. I know he's frustrated by the pace that he's been brought along. They have a young player who Canada would be familiar with, Denton Matejchuk from Mm -hmm. the World Juniors, really good player, who I think will be here next year. 
So there is help on the way. But when you talk about this team being competitive, when you start leaning on this many young players who are on the rise, you think um, it can take at least a couple, maybe a few more years before you really start to blossom. Look at New Jersey. Uh, Look at the other teams. Buffalo's been spinning tires now uh, for a couple of years where you think they're ready to pop and they don't get there. Ottawa. This is the part, what Columbus is going through now is the tough part of rebuilding that nobody discusses or no one wants to consider when you just make the all-too-popular decision to tear it down and build it up. It can be a really long process, and they're living that now. How, how busy do you think uh, Yarmo Kekalainen will be at the at the deadline? What can he move? There's not a lot of pieces to move here. Yeah, I mean, the one expiring UFA is Jack Roslovic, probably a late mm-hmm. draft pick. Uh, I think Liney would have been a consideration. He wants to move Elvis Merzlikens, uh, the goalie, but good luck with that. Where does that line form? I'm, I'm guessing nowhere for now. Um, and I think another question is, is it Yarmo Kekalainen's trade deadline uh, to work? Because he's been here, it'll be 11 years next month, one of the longest tenured GMs in the league, and I don't think anybody would be surprised, uh, if, at least by the start of next season, if there's a new GM in place. Hmm. Aaron, in terms of thinking about team leadership and then the players taking responsibility here, is there a couple players that you feel could really turn around and really step into that role of instead of playing, maybe it's more individual, coming together collectively as a team and playing as we? Um, are there a couple players that you see that could really elevate and bring the game up and turn as much of this ship around and this season around as possible? Yeah, I think the tough part about that is probably the most obvious answer is Adam Fantilli, who's a 19-year-old center, and that is a tall. That's a tall ask. They have some respected veterans here: Good Branson, Corrali. You mentioned Warensky, certainly. Um, but it's Broom Jenner, of course, the captain. But it is a. It has been a quiet uh, dressing room. I don't get the sense there's a lot of rah-rah there. But you can just see that Fantilli is, who may be out now after suffering a lower leg injury last night, um, you can just see the frustration mounting for him. It's an adjustment for uh, for a lot of these guys who had nothing but success mm-hmm. uh, to come to the NHL and get fed losses like this. I'm not sure he knows exactly where to turn and how to handle a situation right now, but he has he has future leader written all over him. I just don't think that's something you can expect in the near term. Hey, Aaron, really appreciate your time this morning. Uh, enjoy all your articles on The Athletic. Uh, uh, thanks for, for taking the time this morning. Appreciate it. Yeah, well, thank you. Thanks for having me. That's Aaron Portsline from The Athletic. Covers the Columbus Blue Jackets. Still trying to get some traction uh, in the NHL, and it doesn't look like it's going to be happening anytime soon. Um Buck Report brought to you by Fountain Tire. Head to FountainTire.com to check out their winter tire lineup and brand offerings. When we come back, Lori Ann Munzer, are you in or are you out? Are you going to be in for in or out or out for in or out? I'm totally oh, in. Oh, you're in. Oh, okay. oh well, totally I hope so. In. Or else we wouldn't be doing the segment. Oh, no. This is yes. like the best part. Oh, okay. This is the best part. <laughs> That's coming up right after the break. Stay with us. There's a bathroom on the right, Duke. Isn't that right? 
<laughs> All right, welcome back to the big program. Time now for Are You In or Are You Out? We had some great times. We're about to have some more. I know that look. I'm putting together a team. Then I'm in. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. Are you in or are you out? On Sports 1440. I'm out. Also want to mention that we will have Andrew Peard on at 10 o'clock, Duke. He's it's fired true. up. He's fired up. He's, you know... Well, what are we at here? Uh, just, you know, hour and 40 difference, eh? You know, that's an extra hour 40 sleep for AP. I'm well, sure he's got a good story. Well deserved. Oh, yeah. Very well deserved. He's a big time operator now. <laughs> big big timing. Yes. Big timing. All right. Uh, we'll start with the NFL championship games from yesterday and the uh, much maligned decisions of Dan Campbell to opt to go for it on a couple fourth downs rather than kick some field goals. Uh, but I'm saying you can, you know, leave it up to your own mind about whether it was confidence in your team to convert a fourth down or lack of confidence in your kicker to make a 40 to 50 yard field goal. Uh, but I'm saying if you cannot trust your kicker to make a field goal of that length, then you do not deserve to go to the Super Bowl. Oh, I'll go. I'm in on this, Duke. I know you probably thought I'd go the other way, but uh, you know what? I just think again, and I didn't get, you know, when we were talking to Frank Schwab, I guess they had an opportunity at the end of the game well before they ran the ball. Yeah. Well before. So, again, they probably dusted off another 20 seconds or so ballpark just on moving the ball, getting it down to where it was at the four-yard line or whatever. They, they kept throwing it to the middle of the field. Yep. And, I mean, hey, some, and, and when you're going to do that, it better be for a chunk play. And, but again, it, and it rarely was. But, again, they, they got to get two scores. Yeah. So, say, you know, Put, leave the time on the clock at that point. But I think you're probably getting back to the other two plays earlier in the third Earlier quarter. in the game. Yeah. And they would have been around 43 to 47, both I of them, I think right? so, yeah. Ballpark. So that one there, and then Schwab did mention that. That puts them up three scores with six and a half minutes left ballpark in the third quarter. So I'm going, yeah, if you can't trust your kicker to make a kick like that, you don't deserve to go to the Super Bowl, I'm in. I'm going to join you there, Kevin, because it's just, I mean, this is imperative. Your kicker has got to be good. You've got to make those kicks. That's the job. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So a couple stats here to, to back this up. And once again, Dan Campbell will say it's it's because they like going for it on fourth down, and they were 15 of 20 at converting fourth and three or fewer in the regular season. So that's 75% clip. They were two of two in the postseason so far at fourth and three or less. Whereas Michael Badgley, nine of 20 in his career from 48 plus yards. That's the worst among high volume kickers in NFL history. And uh, 50% in his career outdoors from 45 to 49 yards, seven for 14. So not exactly a ringing endorsement, but if you're a legitimate uh, Super Bowl contender team and Badgley's not been on the team all year, uh, mid season, late season ad, like you have to have a kicker you can trust and rely on. Not everyone's going to be Justin Tucker, by any stretch, but uh, I mean, you look at the other teams uh, in the mix there between a rookie and Jake Moody, Harrison Bucker, those are guys that the teams count on and trust when the game matters the most.
Then get a kicker. You got kickers matter. Kickers matter a lot. Uh, as much as they, you know, people love to ra- uh, rag on them when you lose games or whatever, and uh, you know, hoist them up on their shoulders when you win. But all the same, uh, as we are a couple weeks away from the Super Bowl, starting to already uh, see some big time performers come through on both sides of the ball for our two teams. Uh, but it but it does bother me, and I think that uh, the other North American sports leagues, being the MLB, NFL, and the NBA, they should follow the NHL's lead, and rather than have have a finals MVP should have a playoff MVP. For example, the performances from yesterday's games actually matter in the final voting. Uh, see, in my mind, the reason they have the con Smythe is because it is such a grind. It's the toughest. The Stanley Cup is the toughest trophy to win in sports. Agreed. Um, so when they encompass it all together, that's why I get it. I'm I'm I agree with this. I but to me, I think it's you know I'm gonna no actually I'm not I'm gonna go I'm out on this one. Leave because the leave the World Series MVP the way it is. Leave the NBA MVP Finals the Finals MVP the way it is. Leave the Super Bowl MVP the way it is. I think it's just fine the way this is with the NHL because it's unique. It's hard. It's tougher than all these other sports combined. So I'm gonna go. I like it the way it is, Duke. I'm going to throw a, a boomerang in here. I'm going to go in and out. I'm going to go both. And I think you should have both because I think there are players that are phenomenal in games as their career is progressing. They may not have the longevity to be able to hold it for like the whole playoff series. I think having both would be a new idea. I can get it for the Super Bowl. I mean, you have two weeks off. Guys come back. Maybe they'll come back from an injury. The The World Series, I mean, it's technically, you know, two different leagues playing against each yep. other. But the NBA is the one that really bothers me. You think it's the exact the same, finals? It's the exact same length as the NHL playoffs. You have to win 16 games. It's four rounds. Like, you can have your best player carry you through the first three rounds of the playoffs and have then just a so-so finals on route to a championship, like just does their job, but then they don't win the the NBA Finals MVP because. But let's make it you. So the NHL is unique. It's good. It, it Leave is it that way. It is. I, I just think it uh, it would provide more um, continuity, I guess, and uh, if if everybody was kind of on the same page in that regard. But I see where you're coming from. All the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it is All Star Break time for the NHL. Uh, just about. We're kind of easing into it here this week, but the Oilers have the entire week off following their 16th straight win on Saturday, this one over the Nashville Predators. I'm saying that uh, this break, coming at the time it does, makes it less likely, rather than more so, that they will tie the NHL record with 17 straight wins when they resume play next week against Vegas. Go ahead, Monster. You can go first. All right, KK. Um, I'm out. They're going to do it. I think the break is a gift, a reset, and I think it's time that they're going to be able to go, let's raise the bar even higher. I would be worried if it were not a game like uh, against a, a, a rival, an opponent yes. like Vegas. I, I think like a team like Chicago or Columbus could beat them coming out of the break just because I think you might not have uh, been totally entrenched in what's going to be happening and the, everything else. But with it being Vegas, I think uh, it uh, they have the ability to match the record because they're going to be up for this game. I think they'll just, uh, they might be a little snoozy coming off their holidays. Yeah, but so could Vegas. Yeah? Yeah. 
Possibly. All teams all could be teams snoozy. Could be, all teams could be. It's <laughs> that's the that's the catch twenty two part of it, right? But uh, I, I'll be honest. I still I do still think they um, secure the win and tie the record. But I'm just I do think it's you maybe, just you just want them to lose in Anaheim, Duke. That would be awesome. Which I don't I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> no, the Ducks stink out loud. Yep. Um, we just chatted with Aaron Portsline about the situation uh, down in Columbus. Of course, of course, Patrick Line. Uh, excuse me, entering the player assistance program. And while of, uh, I think it's, it's a pretty um, agreed upon thing across the league, uh, fans, media, you name it from all markets, that we hope the best for the human uh, there with the assistance program and they can get the help they need. But uh, once Patrick Lining is able to uh, get things back on track for himself, uh, I don't think he will play another game in a Columbus Blue Jackets sweater. It's a, it's a tough one because, again, priority number one here is the person to make sure that he's uh, healthy both mentally and physically. I'm going to say I, I I think he will be back in a Columbus. Uh, I think he's going to return to the Columbus lineup before if he gets traded anyway. $8.7 million. That's what his cap hit is for Patrick Liney. And not only is it just for this year, but it is for two more seasons after this year. So he is a UFA in 26, 27, 8.7. I don't know who's going to pick up this this contract it's that's that's the thing for me so he stays in um columbus after he gets healthy and that's where he will play another game in a blue jackets sweater so i am out on this one duke i'm going to join you kevin as well and i'm going to be out Uh, i think mental health is huge so kudos for going into the program there and turning it around the two years I think there's at least another year with the Columbus Blue Jackets. Hmm. All righty. And last but uh, not least, as we turn our attention away from the world of sports and what is actually a pretty slow sports week, unless we get some uh, big news from a couple final coaching hires, uh, MLB offseason, you name it. But uh, regardless, Oprah Winfrey, Winfrey, excuse me, turning 70 years old today. Uh, Oprah, the Oprah Winfrey Show. I think it's the best talk show that has ever existed on television. <laughs> Can I go, go first, Go ahead, Kevin? Monster. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> 25 seasons running. For Oprah. For Oprah is, I think, one of the longest ones on record. And for her to do what she has done, I would say yes to the greatest talk show. Um, she has taken and turned around the vision of where she was to where she wanted to go and she put it into action. She brought in a whole community of people that necessarily would not have followed. So I'm... Uh, you're, you're in on it. Oh, totally. Okay. Well, I'm out on this one. Of course. Um, <laughs> and I would think that you would say that I probably would say David Letterman, Duke. Mm-hmm. That's who you would probably go with. That would like, have been my guess. That would yeah. be Am- Amor Leno, maybe. No. The number one talk show host... Of all time, the greatest of all time, Johnny Carson. Oh, that's going back. It goes back. It goes back a long ways. But if you ever watch Johnny Carson, uh, I think you'd probably go, this guy was good. I mean, he was just fabulous on the air. And I think he was a a guy that almost transcended time. He, He was great early in his career. He was great later in his career. He had uh, off the cuff humor. He was quick witted. Not saying a lot of these others aren't. But I'm going to go Johnny Carson, my number one. So I'm out on Oprah. But hey, happy birthday, Oprah. 
Happy birthday, Oprah. <laughs> I, I don't like. Obviously, a lot of uh, very hard hitting journalism things she's covered over the years. Uh, some big, uh, big announcements, breaking news type things, but also had some lighter stuff uh, as well. Everything from the book club to Oprah's favorite things, all the giveaways. You know, look under your chair. Uh, and then, like, if you're talking about like coaching trees, the the, the, oh, talk, yeah, yeah, the yeah. talk show tree, uh, Doctor Phil, Doctor Oz, both kind of Rachel off, Ray off, after spinoffs uh, of uh, being a regular occurring guest. Uh, on the Oprah Winfrey show. So I don't know. I, like, hmm. I think she just did it in such a unique way that, like I said, she could cover the most serious of topics and keep it light at the same time. Whereas like into like your more traditional late night talk show and mm-hmm. stuff, it doesn't, it's usually a little more on the light side, I would say, especially nowadays. Uh, you know, Jimmy Fallon just laughing at all the time, even at things that aren't funny. And um, <laughs> Ellen's show uh, was almost always on the lighter beat. So I, I think Oprah's duality, being able to kind of go both ways, was a, was a great thing and, and covered a lot of bases. So I always liked uh, her interviews and stuff. They're always so well done. Honorable mention to Jim Carr from Slapshot. At the very start of Slapshot, interviewing Denny Lemieux on the set there talk show host right yeah. there jim carr I also play-by-play guy i though. can't remember the uh, the name but in the movie semi-pro like the basketball oh, one the, the tropics the tropics tv show yeah. the week i can't remember the name of it but will arnett uh playing the the color commentator former player and i can't remember who the mm. actor was that did the play-by-play guy but very funny all the same so i knew you would go with the with uh oprah Lauren. i love oprah yeah, she's I mean, just you get a car a you get a car you get whatever you want right oh my gosh how could you say no yeah. like Ultimate. You know what's funny? She's got is, her uh, own TV show network. Yes, I mean I'm, her own magazine. A, a little quite successful. You know what? <laughs> if you ever one of the uh, Ocean's Eleven or Twelve or Fourteen or whatever they are, Duke. Do you remember the one part of the scene where uh, George Clooney's in there and uh, Brad Pitt comes in and Oprah was on in the background and he goes, "Are you crying? <laughs> I'm crying. Yeah, you crying? Yeah. Well, they're giving away a car, and you know, and, uh, <laughs> so." Good Fantastic. stuff, Duke. Yeah, I didn't even know it was Oprah's birthday today. There you 70. go. Happy 70. birthday, Oprah. And I, probably, you could say she's maybe a little bit of an underrated actor. She's been in a lot of great, purple? like Color Purple. Color Purple. Uh, the yes. Butler. Oh, my goodness, um, yes. I don't know what else she's, she's had in. some big roles. That's yeah. some really good roles, so. Yep. More, and a producer, like, big time. Big time. Well, nice. Lorianne, thanks for uh, zipping in, as usual, on a Monday. What's up for the week? Anything uh Beside fat tire bike riding? I was just going to go ride, ride, and ride. It's yeah. it's a triathlon kind of day. You know what? You should come over. No. And we'll set you up on a bike. <laughs> no. Yes. But what I was going to say is, just to make things a little more difficult in the terrain and everything else, mm-hmm. I want to, like, let's put about 80 PSI in those bike tires. Oh, God, I don't, I think they'd explode. Okay, 60 or whatever it is. Just Let's, let's, let's go firm, solid. Okay, 45, 50, whatever you want. Less than, what did you say, it's 18 or 20? About 18 or yeah, 20. Yeah, let's double yeah. it and let's see how, let's let's see, let's see you have some fun in the oatmeal out there. <laughs> okay, I'll see if I can get the video. Oh, beautiful. Uh, well, have a great weekend. And you too. And uh, we'll talk to you next Monday. We will. Thanks. That's our co-host every Monday, Lori Ann Munzer, Olympic gold medalist from 2004 and now fat tire bike aficionado. Uh, when we come back, Andrew Peer, Oil King's play-by-play man and also... Kind of a new gig coming up that we'll talk about. That's uh, at the top of the hour. Before that, here is the Duke with a Sports 1440 update.